Hi, I'm Julien Morissette, host and producer of the podcasts created for Reworking Together, Retravailler Ensemble, an exhibition on the theme of collaboration co-produced by La Galerie UCO and Carleton University Arts Gallery. This project is produced in partnership with Transistor Media and the Centre de Production Diamond and has received financial support from the Canada Council for the Arts, the Ontario Arts Council, and the Risa Greenberg Digital Initiatives Fund. Reworking Together, Retravailler Ensemble is a partnership between the two university art galleries in the Ottawa-Gatineau region. Working together and sharing resources to realize this project, all the while reflecting on the practical, symbolic, and ethical aspects of collaboration, underscores the ongoing importance of collaboration between institutions and in the advancement of curatorial and artistic practice. The exhibition, which takes place concurrently at Galerie UCO and QAG, brings together the work of eight Canadian and international artists to explore different approaches to and reflections on collaboration. My first guest today is Kim Waldron, a Montreal-based visual artist. For 15 years, Waldron has been exploring self-portraiture through photography, video, and projects such as running for public office as a means of engaging with various social, economic, and professional situations. These acts of self-representation have recently expanded to include incorporating herself as Kim Waldron Limited, a company headquartered in Hong Kong that produces artwork. We talked about Working Assumption, a series made in 2003, and Kim's motivations at that time. Uh, I was still doing my bachelor's, uh, so I was about 20, 21 when I did this project, and um, I think I was definitely in a moment of flux in the sense that when you're that age, you're not entirely sure what you're going to do with the rest of your life. And you're in the process of figuring it out. Like, what are you going to do for work every day uh, and what profession you're going to choose? So the project was definitely in response to that moment in my life. Um, I also think at the time I, I felt... Um, perhaps a little bit more sensitive than most people. And I had the impression that um, men knew how to have a tougher skin than I did. And so I decided to do this project in uh, Paris, France, while on exchange uh, called Working Assumption, where I asked male strangers to borrow their clothes and their workspace and took pictures as though I was doing their job. And So I think somewhere I thought that that would help me um, develop this tougher skin by coming into contact with these male strangers. That said, uh, by doing the project, um, I had to assume the role of artist. And uh, so I think through doing the project, it was the first time I really um, embarked on the profession of being an artist. What were the reactions when you asked strangers to get in their clothes and in their workspace? Um, some people um, would bring like a whole other set of clothes and then change into them and then give me their clothes that they had been wearing that day. So like very thorough in their, <laughs> <laughs> in their trying to let me really feel what it is to be them in that moment. Um, But I mean, for most people, yeah, then there was a guy who didn't 
really think about it at all and just gave me the shirt off of his back. And then I had to hide the bottom half of me by his desk in the picture because I didn't have the full... (laughs) I mean, I... So there is definitely something that was a bit, um, I guess, transgressive about the act of asking people for this. But I think they also... They didn't know that I was only asking men. It was the pictures themselves that gave that. So in that sense, uh, most people didn't didn't really think of it, I think, more than just uh, me as an artist doing a project, me being from somewhere else, um, interacting with other people. Like that, that was what drew me to do the project was the interaction with other people. How did you grow as an artist in that experience? It was substantial for me to have to assume this position of making art for an extended period of time over three months um, while I was there and challenge myself to make a body of work. So there were 17 photos, uh, 17 different workspaces. Um, it, it allowed me to, I guess, know my boundaries a bit. Um, I definitely like met up with some people and then decided, no, I can't take a picture with that person. Um, it what didn't happen very often, but it did happen once. And so then I was just like, so there were certain things that um, helped me establish, I guess, ground rules for how these projects work or what my boundaries are. Um, I guess it changed. Um, yeah, I guess it did change how I looked at myself because before this project, I, I, I didn't really take fully seriously the idea of like, making a profession out of being an artist. And then through doing that project, it gave me a sense of what that means and what it could be. And the, the fact that I got to show the work quite a few times afterwards solidified that uh, feeling. Yeah. And 12 years later, you went to China for the series Made in Quebec. Can you tell us how this project came about and how it took further the ideas you explored in Working Assumptions? Uh, yeah, so... There's definitely like um, a similarity in the two projects in the sense that I'm trying on different uh, jobs and spaces. But um, the idea for Made in Quebec actually came from something entirely separate. Uh, it was back in 2012, um, and it was the idea came from um, the discourse around the um, U.S. elections in 2012. Uh, at the time, uh, Mitt Romney was saying things like, um, or accusing the Chinese of stealing American, uh, product numbers and, um, putting them on Chinese products to then sell them back to American, uh, people in the U.S. Uh, and so when I was hearing all of this, uh, over the, radio at the time, uh, it started to make me really think how complicated our relationship to Chinese products in North America was becoming. And um, I sort of see, I started to think about um, Chinese products as, because they're more affordable, uh, I was sort of thinking of them as um, saving us Westerners time in some way because <laughs> it's a little bit far-fetched, but because uh, we have to work less to be able to afford to purchase those products. Um, so the project became 
about this idea of exporting myself, who's made in Quebec, as a product that would go and work for these Chinese workers for free to give them back some of the time that they save us. So that was sort of the beginning of the project. And both of these series were made in a context where language and cultural differences presented barriers, I think, working assumption in Paris and made in Quebec in China. How did you navigate these challenges? With working assumption, it was easier in the sense that I had grown up in Quebec. So like I, I could speak French and uh, there are, there were quite a few people that also spoke English in France. Um, that said, I think that it helped a lot that I was a student. Um, I, I also chose to cold call people out of the yellow pages uh, for a lot of the spaces that I found. And I chose to do that because uh, in workspaces, people are more open to speaking to you than if you call them at their home. Um, and I think it helped that I was from somewhere else because I, I think a lot of people saw it as like, helping me have some sort of cultural experience uh, in taking part in the project. Um, sometimes people would say no. <laughs> so so I, the Catholic priest being a good example uh, in the sense that I got there and he was wearing his um, Catholic priest outfit and he said, well, okay, you can take pictures, but not in my outfit and, and um, not in the Catholic priest outfit. And then I... I looked at him and he wasn't wearing the habit uh, at the time. And then I said, okay, well, can I borrow the clothes you're wearing right now? And I'll use those to yeah. do the project. And then it would become part of the story that they didn't. And then he thought about it for a few minutes. And then he decided to let me use the habit. Uh, I think, I guess, because to be open is sometimes perceived as better. At least that's how I interpret it at the in the moment. But I, I don't really know. Like I... I think um, I think with that project, I, I learned that sometimes you have to be very persistent uh, in the sense that um, having a certain amount of conviction in what you're doing is important uh, to get people on board to take part. Um, in the case of um, Made in Quebec, it was definitely much more challenging in terms of language. Uh, in China, very little people speak English. Um, it was mostly the people associated with the art center that spoke English. Um, so every time I met with anyone or even tried to approach them about uh, taking part in the project, I needed some sort of interpreter. Um, and it became quite clear that the interpreter that I had hired um, was as much trying to learn English from me <laughs> as helping me speak to people. Um, so I realized that I needed to work with the director uh, of the center. There, there's two directors, but one of them is Chinese, uh, Mei Li. And so she, it, we developed a way of working where she would contact potential participants beforehand and explain to them the project and what I was doing. And then I would show up with the translator uh, and it would be more about the negotiation of how to take the picture uh, on site that was what was negotiated with the translator. Because so they it, agreed at first? when Yeah, so yeah. There, you'd have this 
like exchange that was more nuanced between the director and the participants and then something that was a little bit more rudimentary when we actually got there in terms of what I could actually say in person because of just finances and how much things cost (laughs) and what I could afford. So this is what I could afford. And were they, were the participants interested in your artistic process? I like it definitely shifted. Uh, I started with this idea um, and it became less about giving back time when I got there and more about, um, well, for two reasons, it became less about that. Um, uh, The first few times that I met with people, I definitely worked for them in exchange for taking the photograph, doing the work. Um, but it proved to be quite challenging for lots of reasons. Um, one being that certain jobs were off limits for me because I'm a woman and there's certain jobs that the people who own these factories uh, would say, no, you can't do that. You they wouldn't pre- let you? No. They would say like you could pretend to do it, but you can't actually do that job. And then they would let me do other jobs that women traditionally do. So so there was that as a a thing that, affected how I approached making the work. Um, and then it just became like almost cumbersome. I was already asking a lot to take the picture, but then to add that they had to show me how to do their job and then give me the time to let me do the job. It became something that was not what I had intended in the first place. (laughs) I didn't like it anyways. So to make it, but did you feel like you owed them something? So What was interesting about what I learned in the mechanisms of how things work in China is that there's a definite, like, people will do something for you with the expectation that they will get something back in return. And so it was a lot of, I had to figure out what, what did I have to offer that I could exchange because clearly my time was not working. (laughs) Um, And so I discovered that uh, May Lee, the director, um, it was actually her contacts, uh, her family members, the people associated with the residency that help all the artists. Um, it's, it's through her that the project was made possible because people understood that if they helped May or if they helped me, they were helping May do her job and they want to help May do her job. So it became that that made the project possible. Um, which was kind of great. Uh, like in the sense that then the pictures depicted um, work life in China, work life in Shaman in particular, because uh, 28 or 27 of the 29 photographs were taken in Shaman uh, and two were taken in Beijing. Uh, and it also depicted the network that was around May. So that is... Um, this art center that provides services for lots of international artists. So you'd see lots of um, not traditional factories and what we imagine as factories, but like uh, artists come from afar to use uh, these art factories to make their artworks. So in that sense, it was interesting to discover that. So in 2016, you created Kim Waldron Limited, an offshore company located in Hong Kong mm-hmm. that makes art. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about how incorporating yourself as an offshore company expands on your investigation of self-portraiture? 
The project came after uh, running for public office. So in 2015, I, I ran for public office in the federal election in the Papineau riding as an independent candidate. And I took this position as an independent uh, because I felt like we needed more voices in government. And I felt a little bit disillusioned by how much the big parties kind of function like a corporate entity mm-hmm. in the sense that all of the representatives of that party need to fall in line and follow um, what the party establishes as the um, discourse. And so I think that when I decided, and I, uh, so when I decided to open this company, it was to, to try and um, explore some of the problematics uh, that are created by um, opening a company that that is a a moral entity and um it liberates you from certain things but it also uh that liberation kind of um brings some sort of um it comes with a price ethical ethical questionable ethics uh so in terms of my own practice it became very liberating uh to start thinking about um, making artworks where um, it's still me, <laughs> like Kim Waldron Limited is still yeah. me, but it's it's separate from me at the same time. And so like it opens it up in terms of just not always feeling like my approach to art making has to start from this position of self-portraiture. Like you can do lots of things under this umbrella of um, a corporate structure. But then uh, it also is sort of interesting from a tax perspective <laughs> in the sense that um, if I make products here in Canada um, through this corporate entity in Hong Kong, uh, I still have to pay tax uh, on any income that I I earn from selling those products. But passive income is treated differently and uh, you do, do not have to claim passive income in Canada. Uh, so it sort of touches on the art realm in an interesting way because copyright income is considered passive income, which would also include exhibition fees. So it opens up like a, I guess the project is about rendering visible um, these financial structures that are often really opaque and not visible, hence using my name and not some fake name. Well, Kim Waldron, thanks a lot. It was a pleasure talking to you. My, my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. Ma deuxième invitée est Emmanuelle Léonard, une artiste qui utilise la photographie, la vidéo, le film, l'animation et le support papier journal pour en faire ressortir de fortes significations sociales, culturelles et politiques. Emmanuel explore les conventions de la photographie documentaire, de presse et médico-légale, ainsi que celles de la surveillance vidéo. Et bonjour Emmanuel. Bonjour. Merci de nous recevoir dans, dans ton atelier ici à Montréal, dans le quartier de Villeray. C'est fort joli. Ben, ça fait plaisir. On commence, on, on saute tout de suite dans le vif du sujet. 
Est-ce que tu peux nous parler de ton intérêt pour ces milieux de travail et les réalités quotidiennes des travailleurs? Mais j'aime la, la, la tension ou la relation entre un individu et sa fonction. Euh, D'où aussi je me, je, mon intérêt pour, admettons, les gardiens de sécurité, euh, les policiers, euh, bon, et, et qui ont pour rôle de, de, de protection, de surveillance ou quelque chose comme ça. Puis en même temps, la vie se glisse dans, euh, dans leurs fonctions. Et donc, il y en a un qui se met à draguer une fille, un autre qui sort les poubelles, un autre. Et j'aime ces tensions-là, en fait, entre. Euh, un rôle à tenir et puis euh, une vie qui t'amène à bifurquer des fois de ta fonction. Et tu utilises la photographie et la vidéo, puis il semble avoir une constante quand même dans ton travail qui est la perception d'autrui, notamment par le, le portrait photographique. Euh, il me semble que c'est important pour toi d'inclure ta perception en tant qu'artiste photographe. Euh, comment tu y arrives dans le portrait à, à nous présenter cette perception pour, admettons, euh, Statistical Landscape qui va être présenté à la galerie de Luco, j'ai demandé à des, des travailleurs de photographier leur lieu de travail, pour moi. En fait, ça devient comme un portrait inversé, c'est-à-dire qu'on voit par les yeux de la personne qui est dans son, son intimité de travail, si on peut dire, quelque chose comme ça, et, et, et ce qui dresse une forme de portrait, en fait, portrait du lieu par celui qui l'observe. Ma perception à moi, ben, elle est dans l'organisation, tout ça, dans, et dans le choix aussi des, des, des images retenues, vois, et de l'organisation, la mise en forme de, de, de tout ce contenu-là. Pour Statistical, c'était, euh, pour organiser le tout, parce que, tu sais, des métiers, il y en a des tonnes et des tonnes, alors pour orienter euh, les sélections, j'ai utilisé les statistiques pour la ville de Toronto. C'était de l'année 2004, je crois. Qui, et on divise le, le monde de l'emploi en 20 secteurs. Donc, j'ai pris une personne par secteur, puis la taille de l'image, lorsqu'elle est présentée en galerie, correspond au nombre de personnes qui travaillent dans ce secteur-là. Ce qui fait que tu as une vision statistique concrète pour l'année 2004 du rapport, admettons, entre manufacturing et mine, euh, bon, tout ça, par la dimension des images, mais tout ça à travers une vision individuelle d'une personne sur son propre lieu. Et encore une fois, c'est un, un peu comme ce que je racontais sur euh, le gardien de sécurité qui, qui, qui drague une fille en même temps qu'il travaille. Euh, là aussi, on est entre une vision particulière sur un contexte général, disons. Qui est comme plus global, dans le fond, ben qui, oui, est qui est plus, qui, qui euh... représente tout l'univers de l'emploi pour la ville de Toronto à un moment donné, tu sais. Ta production euh, oscille entre un travail documentaire, même photojournalistique, qui n'est euh, pas sans rappeler non plus le travail de, ou même la philosophie, je dirais, du cinéma euh, direct, du cinéma des artistes québécois euh, dans les années 60-70. Est-ce qu'il y a un, un rapprochement à faire avec le, le mouvement du cinéma direct ou des distinctions? C'est sûr que ça m'intéresse beaucoup. Et il y a quelque chose, dans, surtout en, en, dans mon travail en, en vidéo, là, qui s'en rapproche, qui est cette idée aussi de poser la caméra puis de laisser la vie euh, se développer euh, comme un, un théâtre autonome, là, sans, sans le diriger en ce sens-là. Il y a certainement une tradition. Euh, après ça, moi, j'œuvre je, je, dans le milieu de l'art contemporain, donc c'est des installations, c'est pas une diffusion euh, télévisuelle ou cinématographique, puis là, ça, c'est un autre univers. 
C'est-à-dire que la mise en espace est, est, est importante et participe aussi. Euh, ce, qui est, ce qui, évidemment, n'est pas le cas dans le cas d'un film diffusé euh, en, en salle. salle ou à la télé. Avec « Dans l'œil du travailleur » et « Les travailleurs », deux projets liés dans leur conception, c'était quoi en 2001-2002, début, euh, début des années 2000, euh, tu as remis des appareils photo à des participants volontaires pour qu'ils photographient leur espace de travail. On en a parlé un peu tout à l'heure. Comment tu établis le choix des collaborateurs? Comment tu vas les sélectionner? C'est dur parce qu'il y a un, un côté arbitraire. Alors, comme je le racontais pour Toronto... Euh, le premier guide, c'était les statistiques. Donc, il fallait trouver une personne dans chacun des secteurs euh, donnés. Euh, pour Montréal aussi, j'avais un intérêt pour euh, les statistiques euh, qui découpent les secteurs. Puis après ça, j'ai ouvert beaucoup plus, euh, même à des, des, des secteurs qui ne sont pas statistiquement répertoriés, genre prostitution ou... Euh, bon. Puis j'ai inclus chômeuse et... Euh, de faire un truc. Après ça, ben, c'était de trouver des personnes. Et là, euh, je dirais qu'il y avait autant des demandes officielles, comme les pompiers, par exemple. Je suis allée les rencontrer, tout ça. Je me suis essayée à, à l'usine GM et j'ai jamais réussi, tu vois, à trouver quelqu'un. Ça, c'était à l'époque où il y avait GM à Boisbriand, là, qui est fermé depuis. Et euh, incapable. Donc, il y avait aussi beaucoup de refus. Le fait de passer par les yeux des, des, des travailleurs, ça me permet aussi d'entrer de dans des endroits qui sont souvent fermés, auxquels on n'a pas accès. Et donc, à travers leurs yeux, on pénètre dans ces univers-là. Par contre, c'est ça. Il y a des endroits où je n'étais pas capable de rentrer. Point. Est-ce que tu devais présenter ta soit par, par une volonté de ta part ou une demande des, des gens qui participaient? Est-ce que tu devais, en long et en large, présenter ta démarche artistique? Oh, et... Ça dépend. Ça dépend. Ça dépend qui je rencontre. J'ai rencontré un prêtre. Alors, avec lui, j'ai discuté long, longuement. Puis, tout, puis là, oui, il l'a fait. Euh, puis d'autres, oui, oui, sans poser de questions. Donc, ça, ça dépend. Euh, toujours en, en se fiant aux œuvres euh, dans l'œil du travailleur et les travailleurs, tu y greffes aussi des photos que tu as prises, donc pas seulement des photos prises par les participants, dans la mesure où tu es l'auteur de l'œuvre, puisque tu choisis, entre autres, ben, les photos à conserver et la technique pour les exposer. Comment tu perçois ton rôle à toi dans cette collaboration? Ben, D'abord, je la crée. Que je, je fais les photos au sens où je les demande. Euh, après ça, effectivement, je sélectionne laquelle va être euh, retenue euh, pour, pour son intérêt euh, à titre euh, d'information, puis ses qualités esthétiques, bon, toutes sortes de... Donc là aussi, je, 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 je sélectionne, je dirige et je, je décide. <rire> T'as le mot final. Le mot final, <rire> c'est puis comment tu détermines si un projet artistique va être mieux servi par l'emploi de la photographie ou de la vidéo parce que tu touches aux deux médiums et ben, c'est à quel niveau que cette décision-là va se prendre puisque c'est assez difficile de faire les deux en même temps? Euh, comment je décide? C'est vraiment un rapport au temps. Ça dépend ce que je veux qui arrive dans, dans l'image. Mais c'est vrai que je considère la vidéo assez proche de la photographie pour moi. Tu sais, le cadrage est fixe. Euh, pas de mouvement de caméra, euh, 
n'y euh, a pas de direction, comme je le disais, en ce sens-là, ça reste très descriptif de ce qui se passe. Donc, la, la manière d'utiliser la vidéo, elle est proche, euh, proche de la photographie, mais après ça, il y a évidemment comment est-ce qu'on fait le montage, et puis que là, on commence à, le, un aspect narratif qui n'est pas en, en photographie. Donc, euh, mais au début, la première fois que j'ai fait la que j'ai utilisé la vidéo, c'était pour, euh, pour avoir le, la voix, en fait. C'était des adolescentes à qui euh, je demandais de me décrire c'est quoi une belle photographie puis c'est quoi une laide photographie. Donc, elles ont 13 ans, à peu près, et elles étaient dans une salle de classe et la caméra était quasi... Euh, euh, donc, était sur elle. Il y avait un, un aspect très typologique parce qu'en fait, c'est elle... Euh, même, même cadre, c'est la jeune fille qui change dans, dans ce cadre-là. Et euh, elle tentait tant bien que mal de répondre à la question qui n'est pas une question très facile. <rire> c'est un peu vache. <rire> Donc, c'est là où je... je c'est une des premières fois où j'ai commencé à utiliser la vidéo. J'en avais fait un peu avant, mais pour avoir le, le, la parole. Mais sinon, il y a un côté hyper euh, statique et photographique. Comme une... Dans mon utilisation de, de l'image en mouvement. C'est comme une photo qui prend... Mais pas qui prend vie, parce que la photo mmh. a déjà une vie quand même, on s'entend, mais donc d'aller chercher la dimension qui est la parole dans ce cas-là, mmh. donc le, le son. Oui, tout à, tout à fait. Euh, dans le cadre de l'expo qui a lieu à la Galerie de Luco, l'ensemble de ton corpus d'œuvres sur les travailleurs se retrouve réunis pour une première fois. Comment tu envisages cette relecture de ton travail? Parce que c'est quand même une dizaine d'années après la production des œuvres. C'est excitant. <rire> J'ai hâte de voir ça. Non, mais c'est vrai que c'est le fun parce que euh, c'est le fun de, de revoir des, 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 des œuvres euh, qu'on n'a pas vues depuis longtemps. C'est le fun de les voir ensemble, cohabiter. Et c'est vrai que c'est un, un sujet euh, important. Dans, dans, dans mon travail, là, qui revient le, le travail, justement, le monde du travail. Et euh, donc, j'ai hâte de voir ça. Bien qu'il n'y ait pas d'œuvre vidéo, là, ça va être que, que photo, mais avec des, des imprimés aussi, le journal, tout ça. Non, ça va être, ça va être euh, intéressant de voir comment on va faire cohabiter tout ça. Pour plus d'informations, visitez galerie.uco.ca et cuag.ca.